This is episode 10 of the semi-new, semi-old podcast, Oddly Adulting. I am uh, coming from the studio, coming to you from the carport studio at a rather late hour. I'm not usually up this late, and I was reminded of why that is (laughs) when I entered the carport to retrieve a forgotten favorite stuffed animal from the car so that my six-year-old could go to sleep. A gigantic wolf spider was standing between me and the car. Hmm. So I got to deal with that. I dealt with that by throwing a water bottle at it. Didn't hit it. He ran out of the way. I scuttled past him, opened the car door, grabbed the bear, ran back inside, did bedtime. And then after I wasn't even going to record tonight because I am super duper tired. I'm probably in the like slap happy phase of tired. So I should probably apologize in advance for whatever rabbit trails or, um, loss of consciousness occurs during this episode, (laughs) but the adrenaline rush that I got from dealing with Mr. Eight-Legged Freak got me like thinking, well, you know what? (laughs) Let's just do this. Let's do this. So I dealt with bedtime and then I got all my stuff together and I came out and I approached the door to the office and there he was again on the step. And so I retrieved the water bottle, tried again, that didn't work. And then I saw a bottle of tire cleaning foam (laughs) sitting to the side. So anyway, this evening's insect murder method of choice (laughs) was tire foam. It works great, guys. Like, you don't even have to worry about toxic smells. Didn't have a smell to it or anything. Oh, boy. Um, actually, is a spider an insect? I don't think a spider is an insect. Or is it? It's an arachnid. Is an arachnid, does that count as an insect? I don't know. Is it a mini beast? It's a mini beast. I know that because our forest school lesson was about mini beasts last week. And spiders were definitely on the list. Anyway, I am, did I mention I'm I'm exhausted? Okay, I'm exhausted because I have made some poor sleep choices the last two nights due to the fact that I got the chance to go out of town for two nights to attend a homeschooling conference in Tennessee. So... I've already talked a little bit about homeschooling and I've mentioned, I think I've mentioned the super buzzwordy Charlotte Mason. I know I've talked about the curriculum that I use a little bit being called, uh, well, actually, I don't know. Did I tell you what it was called? If I didn't, it's called a gentle feast. And that sounds like a weird name, but let me unpack it for just a quick second. (laughs) Um, basically Charlotte Mason, who was alive and working as an educator, developing her own method of schooling back in the early 1900s. She described education as being, you know, that we should um, spread a feast before our children and then let them sample of the feast and, um, you know, that they're 
appetites should kind of lead them and the things that they are drawn to or that they're attracted by or that they like or dislike, you know, that that should all play a role in education. So she called education the feast. And then also in an unrelated discussion, she said that education should be gentle and that we shouldn't, you know, be like hammering our kids over the head with it or, um, you know, bludgeoning them to death with, um, memorizing facts and things like that. Her method was really that she just thought, you know what, if we can all just, it's kind of like the early, you know, the 1900s version of like, just take a chill pill. (laughs) The kids will be okay. (laughs) So she came up with all of these different terms and she wrote a a big, long series of books. I don't know how many of them, but several volumes on her education philosophy and theory and methods and all that kind of stuff. And I really, I am not in the least an expert in Charlotte Mason. So that is all I'm going to say about Charlotte Mason for right now, because I dare not say something that is incorrect. That would be embarrassing. (laughs) So instead of talking about Charlotte Mason, I will talk about what I did this weekend, which was attend a homeschooling conference. Now, of course, I brought up Charlotte Mason because the conference that I went to was a conference that has evolved from um, a bunch of homeschooling moms, primarily. This was, this was actually, it was a, a female only, like, it was only open to mamas. So, that's what they called all of us, mamas. Uh, basically this group of homeschooling mamas who ascribe to the Charlotte Mason methods and philosophy started becoming friends on Instagram, like maybe, I think it was like maybe six years ago, six or seven years ago. And enough of them got to know each other on Instagram that they got the idea to get together and have, um, like a big meetup. I don't actually think that their first quote unquote conference was a conference. I think it was just a meetup. And so they all met up and, you know, got together and, oh, it's so great to meet you in person. You know, I just love your Instagram and whatever. And out of that meeting of mamas, um, came the idea from a lady named Ainsley Arment. She came up with the idea to start a virtual homeschooling community called Wild and Free. And it's wild and the and symbol. It's not the ampere sand. It's the plus symbol, like the addition symbol. So it's wild and free, but and is the plus symbol. And she, in the last six years, has really developed this into a pretty, um, a pretty huge thing. Um, there were 900 people at this conference. So if you think about it, in six years, they went from people who were online friends to a, a big enough deal that like 900 people will show up and, and pay to be there and pay to hear what people have to say. So that is where I was this weekend. So two of my friends that are here locally, they both have, um, young kids that they're starting the process of homeschooling. I am the, uh, you know, like seasoned mother. (laughs) I'm the old one. Out of the three of us, I'm the elderly, I'm the elder madre, elder mama, uh, because my kids are older and they're all schooling. So mine being 11, nine and six, um, my one friend has three and she's expecting another one and her three are, 
Oh gosh, I'm going to do this wrong. I'm going to mess this up. I think they're five, three, and one. And then by the time the new baby gets here, everybody will be turning like six, four, and two. So she's got a cute little set of stair steps. And then my other friend has two boys that are four and two. So they're both in that process of like onboarding, you know, onboarding to homeschooling. So they're kind of like dipping their toe in. Meanwhile, I'm over here like I'm in the trenches, you know, raw. Just kidding. Um, so we all three were interested in this particular homeschooling conference. There are as, as many homeschool options as there are, like there are, I mean, literally thousands of curriculums. You could, if you went online and Googled like homeschool curriculum, you would be completely overwhelmed by the amount of options. Um, that was true for me six years ago when I started homeschooling. It's still true for me. So, um... It's kind of like the time I tried to research cloth diapering and ultimately I decided I was never going to do that and I had to take like a two-year break off before I ever even talked about cloth diapering again because I got so overwhelmed. But um, there, are, there are a ton of options for homeschool conferences. There's lots. Of course, where we live down in the South, I think there's, um, we live, you know, within a three or four hours drive of a lot of big cities. So, you know, you could pick any, basically any major city in the Southeast and you could find a homeschool conference to attend. But we were excited about this one because of the fact that it is the Charlotte Mason-ish, um, gentle type of approach where rather than being bogged down in checklists or, you know, turning primarily to like boxed curriculum that gives you a bunch of, you know, that's like workbook based and things like that. This method kind of gives you um, a lot of freedom while still encouraging a high level of accountability for giving your children a, you know, a rich, good education. So we made plans several months ago, bought the tickets. Luckily, our one friend, um, she offered to drive as well. She drove us in her swanky minivan, new minivan. Um, I hadn't been in a minivan in a long time. They're like really nice now. They're not at all like how it was when my mom had a minivan. That thing was like a utility truck. Um, sharp corners everywhere, like no cup holders, no nothing. This thing is awesome. Anyway, she offered to drive and she even had an aunt who lived in the same exact town where this conference was. And so we got the hookup for a free place to crash. Her aunt bought us cupcakes. Um, it was just, it was a very easy, very fun weekend. And as I referenced, I made very poor sleep choices because we had to cross a time zone. So then it was, you know, we, it was an hour later. So we stayed up until, um, like midnight Tennessee time on Friday and then 1am Tennessee time on Saturday. And then we got up at like 7:30 Tennessee time this morning to come home. So, I am struggling, struggling. But like I said, that little adrenaline boost that I got from uh, my side gig of extermination on my way to and from the carport studio got me amped up and I was like, I'm doing it. I'm coming out here and I'm doing it. So I just wanted to say uh, what, like, I wanted to give a little quick recap of what my main takeaway from the weekend was because this conference was not focused on, um, how to pick a curriculum, you know, how to, um, homeschool a child with learning disabilities, how to loop curriculum for 
multiple age groups, how to um, homeschool through, um, you know, a time where one or both of you has to work full time. There are actually people that do that, by the way, that work full time and still homeschool. Those people are amazing. Don't know how they get all their things done. But anyway, this was not a we're going to tell you how to do it conference or um, not even necessarily like you will leave here equipped with the tools to uh, make all the decisions and do all the things. This conference was all about just encouraging and I found that really useful at this particular juncture in my homeschooling journey because this is my, I believe, sixth or seventh year of attempting homeschooling. Let me do some math real quick. We did two years of kindergarten because we started her early because, you know, your first baby is a genius. I don't know if you guys know that, but everybody's first baby is a total genius and they're just like super smart and like super precocious and you just don't want to hold them back. You know, they really need to be doing. So we started home, we started homeschooling early. We started preschool. I mean, not preschool. We started kindergarten a little early. So, um, I got a couple months into that and I was like, yo girl, relax. This is, you are putting way too much pressure on both of you. So we let kindergarten take two years, which was fine. Cause like I said, I started a year early. She didn't need to be in kindergarten that year, but I digress. So I did two years of kindergarten. Then we did first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Wait, is that right? Kinder, kinder, one, two, three, four, five, six. This is my eighth year. This is my eighth attempted year of homeschooling. Um, I do not teach her math, so you do not have to worry. <laughs> If you're worried about the fact that I could barely count to eight, don't worry. I am not her math teacher. <laughs> her math teacher is a man with probably a master's degree who has recorded an entire series of math curriculum on CDs. So she is getting math instruction from an actual real math person. Anyway, this is my eighth year of homeschooling. We're a month into it. Of course, we did not start in August like um, most of the local schools started in August. We didn't because we went, um, we took August off and we went on our road trip instead. I probably could have counted that as school considering, um, the amount of hours that we were just encountering all kinds of educational materials, print materials, all that kind of stuff. But truthfully, I just didn't want to turn it into work. Like I didn't want to turn it into a, into a homeschool work thing. And I would have had to do a lot more stuff to make it, um, count for school while we were gone. Oh, there's my train. Hello. So I just didn't want to do that. I just wanted to enjoy the trip with them and let all of that learning stuff just naturally occur. So I did not count that for school. We started school at the beginning of September. So we've completed four weeks of it. And it was, so this conference was like perfectly timed. Wow. This is a really, this is a really, um, outspoken train we're having here. Probably a Canadian train. I'm going to tell you guys about trains sometime. Train, different train lines and train conductors have different personalities. And I can tell what train is on the tracks based on how they're honking their horn or blowing their whistle. Um, anyway, this conference was extremely well-timed because this is my first year homeschooling all three girls full-time. She was five at the time. My youngest was like, I want to do school. I want to do school. I want to do school. And I kept going, you know, I just, I mean, it's like, I just, you know, come join us at the table. Um, you know, and so I had some things for her to do, 
But I just wanted her to still have one more year of exploration, learning entirely just for fun. And so we focused on, I would let her check out books from the library. We read a lot out loud. I had a little workbook that she could practice her letters and, you know, tracing her letters and writing her letters and numbers and that kind of stuff. And she loved to do all of that stuff. She was totally down for it, but I wasn't really full-time homeschooling her. Well, this year we're full out, all three of them. So, and then of course my middle schooler, you know, my oldest started middle school. Well, I was a middle school teacher, so I have all of these grand plans and grand designs and I'm finally feeling like I'm in my element with her. So I have been intimidated about this year because I've thought, man, this is the real, this is like the real deal. You know, I've got a middle schooler. We have to start getting really, we really got to start buckling down. And, you know, then I've got a fourth grader and fourth grade is a really transitional year for a lot of kids because it's the year that you can really start pushing them to do a lot of their stuff a little more independently. So I've got, I want to like make sure that I do that transition good. And then of course, you know, I have the newbie sitting here at the table and she's just like super excited, super motivated. And it's like, I got to make sure that I am, you know, harnessing that, you know, enthusiasm, power, whatever. So as excited as I've been about this year, as well as it's gone, So far, the conference was really, really well-timed because basically I sat through um, several hours of of what amounted to motivational speeches from moms who've already been there. Some of them, they are like already done, you know, like one lady was saying she just graduated her last child last month. She homeschooled for 28 years, homeschooled all her kids all the way through, and it was incredible. She read from a, from a journal that her children, when her, when she graduated her youngest, instead of throwing a graduation party for her son, her family threw a graduation party for her. (laughs) And I was like, that is amazing. What a great idea. What a great family. And they had all written in a journal and they gave this journal to her as a gift. And it basically, they all kind of like reflected on their lives. Um, growing up homeschooling and with her as their primary teacher and all that kind of stuff. And she read a bunch of stuff from it that had all of us like in tears, you know? And, um, so lots of the things, lots of the sessions were like that. They were just incredibly motivational, very reassuring, you know, from older, wiser moms who are like, I homeschooled nine kids and everything was, you know, they all turned out. Okay. The kids are going to be okay. So, it was a really great time. It really was. And it was really well-timed because, you know, I came home like excited to get, to, to keep on going. You know, we had a great first month of school. It was the best first month, first month of school that we've had. And so I'm just really super motivated, but there was some, there were some really cool things that I learned from one speaker and, um, her name is Greta. Let me see if I can remember what her last name is. Greta, Greta Eskridge. If you look her up on Instagram, her Handle is Ma and Pa Modern, all lowercase, Ma and Pa Modern. And she's got four kids and she's homeschooling. And her whole topic was about joy. And she gave us some little, um, some little factoids to chew on. The first one is that she said that it is scientifically proven that smiling for 60 seconds improves your mood because it actually affects your brain chemistry that when you use the 
um, smile muscles in your face, it somehow sends the message to your brain to pump out some more happy hormones. So, of course, me, like, and my snarky self, I'm sitting there with my two friends, and we're sitting on the back row, like, back row Baptists, you know, sitting on the back back row, and I'm like, well, does it still count if you're, like, you know, doing this kind of smile? And I do this really, like, gross, exaggerated grimace, you know, like, I'm not really smiling, I'm not, you know, and, and they kind of, like, you know, chuckle at me. And then from the, from the stage, the lady says, and, uh, you know, for all of you pessimists out there, uh, I don't mean one of these smiles like this. And she did, basically did the same. Basically did the same, like, you know, gritting your teeth, like your teeth are clenched and you have this really monstrous looking strange grin. Kind of like, well, sort of like what Ryan Seacrest looks like when he smiles, you know. But anyway, she said, no, it does not one of those. It has to be a real smile. But if you can manage to smile for 60 seconds... It will actually improve your mood. So I was like, well, that's cool. I mean, that's a good that's a good thing to know. Maybe that's a little bit of a life hack. Like if I'm having a bad day, I can go listen to something funny that makes me smile or maybe go, you know, flip through like a photo album. I don't know. I'm going to try it. This is on my to-do list for this week is to try both of these things. And then, so that was the first little fact. The second little fact she shared with us is that she said that Again, science has proven. Science has proven that laughing for 15 minutes gives you the same um, biophysical... What is the word? I didn't write it down. I had a hard time copying down. She was kind of a fast talker. It has the same effect on you. It gives you the same benefit, biophysical benefit, as two hours of sleep would benefit your body. So she's like, so, you know, like, don't sweat it. If you only slept like four hours last night, just wake up and laugh for 15 minutes and then like, bam, six hours. <laughs> so That was literally one of my first thoughts this morning when I snorted myself awake. Um, that's really embarrassing, by the way, when you're like on a trip with your friend for the first time, you know, and your roomies for the first time. And she's like trying to really, you know, politely and sweetly wake you up. But you have an earplug in so you couldn't hear if Armageddon was going on outside. And so you feel the like I think she like maybe tugged on the covers or maybe like tapped my shoulder or something. And I was literally like, what? Uh, uh. And she was like, it's time to get up. And I'm like, no, I need two more hours of sleep. Let's laugh for 15 minutes. But seriously, these little, I love little stuff like this. Little funny, I mean, I'll probably remember these two facts forever now because I heard somebody say them and she was a really engaging, memorable speaker. So like, I'll remember that she said them, I wrote them down and now I've said them again. Now I've repeated them to you. So it got me to thinking about how, how does, you know, is a, is joy, her whole talk was on joy, okay? If joy is what we're trying to have at our house, because, like, nobody wants to, my friends and I were talking about this, like, we don't want to get to the end of homeschooling and have our, and be like, so, you know, what did you think of homeschooling? And have our kids be like, oh, you were just miserable all the time. I remember how mad you were all the time. You're always yelling at us and blah, blah, blah. Uh, nobody wants them. Nobody wants your kid to say that. You want your kid to write beautiful things about you in a journal that they present to you at your graduation party. You know, that's what we all want. So I was kind of laughing and trying to uh, 
think about how how does it how does it happen at our house? Like where are the joyful moments? And like quite frankly, all I could come up with in the <laughs> in the time that I was thinking about it is that well, okay, and then the other thing to back up, side note, another one of the speakers who I really love, her name is Terry, and she is um on Instagram, her handle is Woodser Mom. It's spelled W O O D S E R M O M. Woodser Mom. That's because her last name is Woods. Woodser Mom. And she's homeschooled nine kids. She's still got some at home. She's got some that are graduated. I found her on Instagram. I think I already told you guys about this. She was the one whose kids had a wood burning stove in their playhouse. And I like completely stole her idea. I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Anyway, she was one of the speakers of this conference and she, um, was really exhorting us to like do stuff, like do stuff as part of our homeschooling experience that we're sometimes maybe completely unfamiliar with or uncomfortable with. She was like, we discovered that we loved opera. She's like, uh, we're like from Alabama, you know, like we live on a farm in Alabama. Who would think that? People like us would like opera, but she and her kids discovered that they really enjoyed listening to opera. So she was encouraging us to do things like listen to classical music, not just during composer time, you know, read books that are way over the kids' heads, read books that are way over your heads. You know, she really was encouraging us to do all of those things. And so I was thinking like, you know, we they're like music is kind of a thing that goes on. You know, we have, there's, there's a lot of music going on at our house. And, um, uh, you know, we try to invite joy into our day through our music. Um, you know, and when I say music, like, I mean, you know, like singing and things like that. And when I say singing, you know, I mean more like, like harassing people to a tune <laughs> or like, you know, joking or teasing. We, have all kinds of just dumb songs that have become the background music of our lives. So obviously I'm going to have to sing them to you. So just brace yourself. It's coming. All right. I'll give you a second. Um, these are all very appropriate. I mean, they're child appropriate. Like it just so happens that most most kids like bathroom humor or things that are just, you know, like maybe just slightly inappropriate or like slightly mean, but these are kids safe. Okay. So the first one I got from, I had, when I lived in Texas, I had a best friend that lived across the street. Her name was Ariane. We were the same age. I don't think we ever got to be in the same class, but we obviously, we went to the same school and we played all the time. And sometimes we fought, like sometimes we had to be like, sometimes I got sent home. Usually it was because we were playing hungry, hungry hippos. And that's kind of, you know, that's an aggressive game y'all. So <laughs> could you blame me? <laughs> anyway, Ariane and I played nonstop for the, I think we only lived there like two and a half years, but basically from, um, kindergarten until halfway through second grade. And then halfway through second grade, my family moved. Well, we stayed friends and I would come back and I would visit her every summer or she would visit me. And we did this all the way until we graduated. And after we graduated from high school, we took a road trip together and we thought we were hot stuff. Let me tell you, 
I got to fly to, by that time she had moved to Michigan. I got to fly up there. She picked me up from the airport in her little white, um, I think it was a Toyota. It was a Toyota or a Honda, maybe like a Honda Civic. We'll, We'll say that's what it was. Her little white, cute as a button, little white Honda Civic. And we drove three hours to Mackinac Island, parked the car in the parking area and took the ferry over to Mackinac Island. And we stayed on Mackinac Island for three days alone. No parents. What? Like other people were at the beach. Not us, girl. We were riding horses and bikes and walking on Mackinac Island. And it was awesome. But anyway, Ariana and I stayed friends for forever. So when I would go and visit her, and of course for the two years that we actually lived near each other, I loved being over at her house. And one of the reasons I loved it is because her dad was hilarious. He was one of the most naturally funny people. He had one of these super quick wits that just, he could just, anything he said, he could say it in a funny way, but he was always coming up with hilarious things. And the best part was that he, he drove his family nuts with them, but to other people, it was hysterical, but he would get started and All three, Ariana and her sister and her mom, they would all be like, oh my gosh, not this again. And so whoever else was there though, like me or whoever, we would totally encourage it. So at some point in time, he said, um, I've been, I've been working on this new rhyme, you know, I've been starting this, um, I've got a little song going, you know, can I, can I sing it for you? Like, let me know what you think. And so I'm like, okay, you know, go ahead. And he says, okay, it goes like this. If you're dancing with your honey and your nose gets a runny, don't think it's funny because it's not. (laughs) And of course, the three of them fall out. Oh my gosh, George, seriously, why? Dad, stop it. And it took me a second because I'm not real quick. And it took me a second. And then it was like, that's not, You know, and I immediately ran home and like taught it to my brother and then we sang it forever, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And of course, so of course I've taught this song to my children. Of course I did. So that is, I think the most tangible manifestation of how I'm accomplishing this whole, you know, overarching Charlotte Mason goal of take a chill pill. The kids are going to be okay try and do everything that you're doing with joy is that we just make up nonsense and then we sing it to each other to lighten the mood. Or if somebody's mad, you will start this with them. So the dancing with your honey, if you know, when your nose gets a runny, that's a perennial favorite. That's kind of a classic because that came from my childhood. So then I learned a new one from my friend, Rachel. She has two little girls and They had, they made up a little family song or they got it from somewhere. I think they probably made it up because Rachel is another one of these people, like George, like Ariane's dad. Rachel is another one of these people who has this super quick wit and she can just think of hilarious things to say. So she's got these two little girls and they made up a little rhyme that went with bath time and it would go, I see your Honey, it is so shiny. You better hide it before I bite it. And then, of course, you can imagine the toddlers, you know, running away. So, thankfully, I discovered this song. I was still very much in love with taking baths and also very much in love with doing the 
naked baby run. And so every night that she was having a bath, I'd say, okay, it's time for your bath. And before I knew it, she'd be butt naked running around the house going, naked baby run, naked baby run. There's my train again. So the I see your honey, it is so shiny. That's another one that has made it onto the um, best hits list. And then um, the last one I haven't actually taught to my children, but it holds a special place in my heart because my brother and I wrote this one together. It's a duet. And um, we wrote it sometime after 1988 because that was when our sister was born. And probably it was more like after 1990 because the, you know, the subject matter was really, it had a very distinct purpose, you know, um, us being the two older siblings, it was definitely 100% our goal to harass her as much as possible, make her as mad as possible. And if we got really successful, you know, she might even cry. <laughs> like we're great people, aren't we? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you have siblings, you know what this is about. This is the ultimate goal is to harass your siblings so much that they cry. So this is the duet that we wrote. It's very short. <clears throat> we would sing it together. And it went like this. You're the spawn of someone else. <laughs> and we would just chase her around the house. You're the spawn of someone else. How mean is that, right? <laughs> Every older sibling in the history of the world has done this to their younger sibling, though, right? Trying to convince them that they're adopted. It's terrible. Adoption is actually beautiful and wonderful and something that I wish I had the courage to do myself. <laughs> but as a sibling, you don't have the appreciation for that fact. And so, yeah, we used to chase my sister around and sing that terrible song to her. And what was hilarious about it was that when we made it up, it was super effective the first time we did it. She got really mad. She cried. She went and told on us. And then later, she was like, so, like what does spawn mean? <laughs> so then we had to tell her. We had to like deconstruct our mean, <laughs> our mean rhyme to her, which then, you know, had the bonus effect of a second round of being mad, crying and telling on us. But anyway, she would tell you that it brings her joy now because we have such a great loving relationship. Right, sister? That's what you would say, right? Well, anyway, I, I, thought about a lot of things this weekend. I thought about, um, my homeschooling, my approach to homeschooling, and I reflected on some of the successes and some of the failures that I've had. And I ultimately came away from the conference feeling like, okay, you know, I could do with a little more opera in our lives. And, you know, I should probably, um, not be worried. I should not be worried about breaking out the Shakespeare. Like I've been putting off breaking out the Shakespeare, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to get bold. I'm going to get excited. I'm going to pull the Shakespeare out. And then ultimately through all of it, I want to try and keep something in mind that one of my favorite speakers said. Her name is Kristen and her handle on Instagram is old joy. O-L-D-J-O-Y. Old joy. And her name is Kristen and she's got four kids and she's been homeschooling for about the same amount of time that I have. Our oldest kids are the same age. And I started following her a couple years ago and she is just a fun, funky, like odd, eclectic, cool 
person. She's all of the, she's, she's one of those people that just has the coolest combination of personality traits. She can make fun of herself. She can be vulnerable. Like she is just, she's just a really neat person that I really have enjoyed getting to know, you know, quote unquote, getting to know on Instagram. So I was really excited to meet her and I did get to meet her and it was, it was great. So I went to her talk. She was one of the breakout session leaders and she did kind of, kind of just like I would have expected from her. She did really sort of like a sort kind of a free form talk. She had some notes, she had an outline, but really she just spoke from the heart. And the thing that she said at the end that stuck with me, and I told her this, I said, this was really my, this stuck out to me as my takeaway from the whole weekend was that homeschooling is a lot of hard work and we do a lot of things in the course of our day. And we experience a lot of little micro successes and micro failures and sometimes macro successes and sometimes macro failures, but sometimes it can be hard to sort of like take a step back and quantify like, was I successful today? Was today a good day? Are we accomplishing the goal? Are my kids going to be okay? Are they really going to grow up and be educated? Am I really going to be able to be proud of the job I did? Like there's just a huge margin for where self-doubt can creep in. So what she said at the very end was she said, we have to stop this self-doubt cycle. You know, self-doubt won't get you anywhere. You can do it. You can do it because you love them. And ultimately, if we would stop and recognize and celebrate the things that we've accomplished, large and small, that will tell us, that can be the meter of how are we doing. Look at the micro successes and the micro failures. And she said, uh, because all of this, and this is what it all came down to, she said, because it all adds up to a childhood. All of those things. She's like, you know what? If you pushed your kid on a swing for five minutes today, celebrate that because you're the mom that pushes her kids on the swing. If you drove your kid to and from their extracurricular activity that they absolutely adore that they live for, celebrate that because you're the mom that drives the taxi to get your kids to the stuff that they want to do. If you went to the kitchen six times today and made your kid a snack because they were hungry, Pat yourself on the back because you're the kind of mom that makes your kid a snack. Like all of these things add up to a childhood. And that made me, that was such, to say something that kind of feels a little bit cliched to me because I have heard it said so many times by other people. It's, they're not my words. It's at this point I'm, I'm using it because a thousand other people have used it. But those words were so life-giving to me because sometimes in the, mundane and in the monotony. And, you know, I've been a stay at home mom for 10 years now. And even though homeschooling has been a big part of it, there's just like, sometimes you really wonder, you know, and the fact that she said all of those things add up to a childhood, that was such a life giving statement for me to hear. So I would love to hear what are the things that you guys do in your homes what are y'all doing that brings you joy or is the like kooky, quirky family things, you know, like do your kids chase each other around and, and, you know, try and make them cry telling them that they're adopted, you know, or was that just me and my brother? Um, you know, do you guys have silly songs that you sing at bath time? Do you have routines that you do every day? You know, do you have a family joke? Do you have a family tease? You know, do you give everybody silly nicknames? I don't know what it is. But I would love to hear what are the things in your family that if you've got kids that you are doing that are all 
adding up to the childhood stories that someone can someone tell their therapist, someday tell their therapist. (laughs) Or, you know, alternately someday tell with, you know, loving fond memories or laughing, you know, eye rolling type memories. And in the same vein, what are some of the things, what are some of the little things that added up to your childhood for you? Like I've shared, you know, the the me and my brother being mean to my sister, that was part of our childhood. My poor sister would tell you that, you know, we were pretty relentless. Thankfully, I think all three of us have turned out to be friends. Um, she can correct me on that if I'm wrong, and I can definitely apologize where apologies are needed. But what are some of the things that added up to a childhood for you? You know, like I remember doing a lot of playing with my brother, um, my sister, I would make my sister play school and I would be the teacher. I would bring home my workbooks from school that had extra pages in them and I would have her, you know, we'd play school and I'd make her do really hard work because she's six years younger than me. And, um, there's another train. Wow. Um, I did, uh, there's a story that my mom tells about how I used to love to paint watercolors. And so one day she sat me down at the table with my little tray of paints and some, some paper and she had a cup of water for me to rinse my brush in and then at some point she brought me a cup of kool-aid and she set it down next to the paint water and by the next time she came back to check on me and see what i was doing i was drinking the paint water and cleaning my brush in the (laughs) kool-aid um you know we had a dog that i would try to ride around the yard like a horse And apparently all of the little neighborhood boys loved the dog too. And sometimes they would come and they would knock on my family's door and ask my mom if our dog could come out to play. So all of those little stories, stuff like that, those are all of the things that add up to a childhood. And I want to hear from you what some of those things are. So go hunt me down on Instagram at oddlyadulting. Or email me, oddlyadulting at gmail.com, and tell me, what are the things that, for you, they added up to your childhood? Because I want to know. Or what are the things that you're hoping your kids someday will later say added up to their childhood? Um, you know, because it's all in there. And in my poor children's particular case, you know, maybe maybe it's an odd childhood <laughs> that they're getting, um, that is that the addition is adding up to. But it is a childhood nonetheless. So... If you made it all the way to the end of this, listening to my gravelly voice from talking um, over loud crowds in a factory warehouse turned into a venue, um, you know, I love you. And Jesus does too. Bye. Her music is by Kevin McLeod, winner, winner. <laughs>